Good afternoon and welcome to this seminar today. I know all of you, or most of you, I think. I'm Melissa Dark. I'm a professor in computer and information technology. And um, it's my honor to introduce Dr. Laura Amo from the University at Buffalo SUNY, um, who is the guest speaker today. So I wanted to let you know I first met Laura uh, this past summer through a program called GenCyber, which is a national initiative in order to try to increase the number of high school and middle school students interested in studying cybersecurity. We have a, a pretty significant pipeline problem in the United States. We need to hire a lot of people in the workforce. Colleges and universities are producing the number of students that are coming to them um, but there aren't enough coming to them to study cybersecurity. So GenCyber aims to address that challenge, that problem, to increase the number of students in high schools and middle schools. And it does so through a number of different camps. So one of the camps this summer was at the University at Buffalo, SUNY. And my role is to evaluate the entire GenCyber program and the effectiveness of it. And so I'm an external evaluator to all of the camps, and Laura worked on a very interesting internal evaluation project at her particular camp. And so she's going to share with you what she learned about gender differences in cybersecurity, engagement, and self-efficacy. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Melissa. So. Hello, thank you, and uh, I've had a great time here at Purdue, and I, I really appreciate all the, the support and all the interest that everyone has shown me for the things that I've been talking about. So, as Melissa noted, at SUNY, we ran our own Gen Cyber Camp, and I was sort of drawn into the project because I know a little bit about assessment, and I'm admittedly from outside of the field of cybersecurity. Um, to that point, though, my husband is in information security, so I have a little bit of knowledge and I was able to bounce some ideas off of him and he gave me some input and the running joke around the house now is that I'm his boss <laughs> because I know a little bit about, uh, I know a lot about this now, um, but a, a tad bit more about uh, cybersecurity. So my experience in this project was really sort of, as Melissa noted, twofold. So. I ran a camp, but at the same time, I really wanted to see if our camp was effective. And in order to do that, we have to be able to, to measure it. And before we measure anything, we really have to be able to define what it is we're measuring, to be able to then operationalize and be able to explain you know, that the instruments that we're using are in fact measuring the things that we're saying we're measuring. And so when I was drawn into the project, that's one of the reasons. I said, we, we need an assessment piece. We're writing this grant. You know, we know that you know a bit about assessment. So when I came into the meeting, I asked them, you know, well, I need to know what cybersecurity is. Can you tell me? And everybody was kind of looking around the room like, wow, that's, you know, a really great question. And so one of the first sort of initiatives for us at the University of Buffalo and sort of the Gen Cyber program initiative overall is to really identify what the principal components of cybersecurity knowledge are. And so what I decided to do was start from scratch. And I think being an outsider from the field was a really good, actually, tool for me because I don't know much about it. And 
in order to be able to explain it to students, I think that's an important state. I stated I was almost at the, the level of the student, so I needed to know what it is, the things that they needed to know, and, and sort of be brought on board in, in that regard. So as we know, cybersecurity is definitely an area that we need to, to bolster, we need to, to build up. In addition to having a very leaky pipeline, we'll say, and when I say leaky pipeline, I mean that we're not necessarily putting enough people into that pipeline, but also a lot of times what's happening is that pipeline is leaking. So people will maybe express interest in it, but they will drop out. So if they even go into a certain degree program or start taking a course, it may be that they don't take a subsequent course or that they, they drop out. And in addition to that leaky pipeline, there's a specific deficiency in the representation of women in the cyber workforce. So less than 30% of the U.S. cyber workforce, and this is as of 2013, is female. Um, and less than 20% of the, the cyber workforce in the U.K. is female. And unfortunately, what we're seeing between, there's some um, national, um, the National Center for Educational Statistics keeps track of the number of people that are enrolled in different programs in colleges. So we're able to sort of look at trends in different types of academic domains, and they'll keep track of those demographics by gender, race, ethnicity, uh, SES, so socioeconomic status. And so you're able to then see by comparing that, those, that cross-sectional data, it's not necessarily tracking the students, but by comparing the percentage of, student, or of females that are in um, cyber, intended careers in 2004 with 2008 with 2012 we see that actually the the percentage of females that are pursuing those types of degrees is is decreasing so that says to me that we really need to not only start to attract more females into this field um, but encourage them support them show them the the this these types of role models exist and to really encourage that type of, of environment. In order to do that, a lot of times we need to create early experiences. So many of us knew what we wanted to do because we had exposure to you know, a, a certain field early on. And a lot of times the courses that you take in high school are gonna predict what you take in college. And a lot of times the courses that you take in high school are going to be molded by your experiences and your success in high school, but also before that. So my, I, actually, I did a guest lecture in a, in a course yesterday where I asked how many students had taken a, a computer science course in high school. And the majority of people had raised their hands. And I asked, how many have taken one in middle school or elementary school? No one, <laughs> right? Uh, unless you're not from the US, probably. So that's, problematic and it's something that that we need to address and so the gen cyber initiative is uh, not only to increase the the workforce but to also increase the diversity of the cyber workforce and doing so early early enough on in the pipeline so that students are experiencing success and they're having success and fun enjoying it um, at a very early age so that they are able to pursue the different types of courses and structure their experiences in the forthcoming years and what we really call in education the formative years in order to, to be able to equip themselves with the skills that they'll need to, to succeed in not only in college but beyond. Um, so 
obviously diversity in the in the cyber workforce is, is a major initiative and as we see with a lot of STEM disciplines so science technology engineering and mathematics uh, those early experiences are, are really important for realizing that that type of diversity and, and encouraging that those types of successes um, in relation to gender disparities in cybersecurity a lot of the research that's been done in STEM and the other STEM areas that has received a lot of you know acclaim has been in science and in mathematics and we know we've assessed that a lot because it was well, you know part of some of the major initiative behind a lot of the national assessments so because we rely a lot on the mathematics and the science components for some of the national assessments and international assessments we focus a lot of our attention on on those gender differences and and increasing the diversity therein and we know from that body of research that females tend to feel less significantly less competent regardless of achievement or past experiences or competency in stem related disciplines so if I myself and a male counterpart, everything else being equal, have the same achievement, we've had the same experiences. If we were to gauge the self-efficacy or the extent to which I think I can be successful in that career, again, controlling for all other differences, males are significantly more likely to say, yes, I'm going to be able to succeed, I'm confident, I think I can do this. And that notion of self-efficacy is very intricately woven with achievement and we know achievement is intricately related to pursuit career pursuit and retention in in an academic domain so this self-efficacy component is something that's really integral to closing what i'm calling the the cyber gender gap and because if you're able to it's not to say that if you just raise somebody's self-efficacy and keep telling them that they're really great that all of a sudden they're going to just become this cyber butterfly that's not necessarily what i'm saying but it does help to create those experiences in which they can build up their self-efficacy and that does tend to be related to achievement and, and pursuit so again in a lot of other stem disciplines engineering mathematics science and um, technology a lot of times males uh, tend to rate themselves higher in terms of competency or, or in state that they're more efficacious in in those particular domains and again it, as in other stem disciplines these differences in confidence and, and self-efficacy and something that I, I refer to as engagement which is sort of um, the enjoyment of certain tasks or the enjoyment that you if you ever get lost in sort of um, the field that you're in you know that you're you know engaged in it and you you know can kind of you know lose yourself in it in, in a good way I um, mean those are all things that are, are related to again academic pursuit and, and your career path so again as I had stated these sort of the background there is that you know self-efficacy and engagement are really important things to study and because of the the model that we've got I have you know showing right here that the early experience and success and social support and modeling those being sort of the front loaders to cybersecurity engagement and self-efficacy because these things in uh, the middle are the things that are going to relate to your cybersecurity course taking, your career retention, and to your pursuit. And so the things that I really, in this model, focused on are those engagement and self-efficacy. 
And again, when I sat down with my colleagues and asked them, well, what is it that we're trying to, to do at this camp? So at our Gen Cyber Camp, we wanted to create an experience for about 35 students, um, simply because of resources. And our students were ages 13 to 17 and didn't have much background in cyber anything. And they had self-elected, uh, applied to the program, and what we had intended to do was, over the course of the week, have them build websites and interweave all these different types of lessons and concepts through those website designs. And at the end of the week, what we ended up doing was we had the students incorporate their websites so to create a customer-facing website and then take them into sort of what we call the simulation. Um, they didn't know it at the time. We just brought them into a room that they thought was really cool, and we had them sit in their teams and go through these steps. You know, you add a user, um, enable these privileges, that type of thing. And once they got to a certain step, we had a sort of, we had a red team, but we called it the rosette team because <laughs> it wasn't a really hardcore red team. It was a, I at first called it the pink team, but the, the males didn't really appreciate that. So I said, okay, rosette maybe. <laughs> so the rosette team then came in and defaced the website. And the reason that we did that was because at first when we were kind of thinking of different vignettes and different ways to, to, tr to try and hone in the message that, you know, cyber attacks are, are personal, okay? And the, the way that we thought that best was achieved was by attacking their personal material, right? So these lessons became really real to them, and um, they were, as soon as they were defaced, all their work was, you know, destroyed. And, um, you know, of course, we had illustrated throughout the entire week that it was really important for them to create backups and that type of thing. So, and, um, it was a lesson for them in, you know, applying all of the lessons that we had learned, but also in realizing, you know, that they can take certain steps to establish security and, and make a more secure environment. Um, but throughout that entire week, the, before we, you know, obviously exposed them to that, the, the thing that I wanted to ask my colleagues was, is it really achievement that we're trying to make a difference in, you know, and if so, then we need to create an assessment that's going to identify what the learning objectives are, what the achievement is, and we had some models, and it was really a lot of the undergrad uh, program um, in a cybersecurity class that was watered down, and I said, you know what, I think what we should do, I think we should look at how they're enjoying themselves, you know, if that's something that we're increasing, because that, as I show in the model, is one of the first steps, right, in order to learn something, you have to like what you're learning. You have to be interested in it. You have to be engaged in it. And so I was really sort of adamant about maybe taking a step back away from achievement and measuring the growth in that and looking more at some of the precursors to achievement, so engagement and self-efficacy. And my background is in educational psychology, so self-efficacy is something that um, I'm, I'm actually really interested in, and engagement. So cybersecurity engagement, yeah, okay is something that I, I've been termed in sort of the literature as enjoyment and intended pursuit. So if you're engaged in something, again, sort of what I've stated before, is you're happy, you like learning about it, it's something that um, you know, you're excited to go to class, you like talking to your friends about it, that type of thing. And self-efficacy has a, a couple different components. So self-efficacy is something that we, we study a lot in education because it, 
again, is, is very strongly related to achievement. And it's really broadly defined as your general sense of being able to do something even in the face of many challenges. So it's sort of tied into persistence and tied into the notion that even with all of these obstacles, I'm still going to be able to achieve. All right, so it is moderated by a lot of different things, but that in and of itself, if you have a high self-efficacy for something, you're more likely to succeed in it. So again, this is sort of where I relied on the expertise of my colleagues to tell me, well, what is, in order to feel that you're good in cybersecurity, what are the things that you need to be able to do? Okay, what are the things that you need, the domains, the broad sort of domains? And again, having no knowledge in these types of things, um, I just really sat down with four experts and had conversations with them and then sort of mapped out some of the things that they had said and then presented the results back to them, sort of the rudimentary results, and um, said, you know, are these the types of things? So it was, again, sort of an iterative process. But some of the things that came up in, in those conversations were problem solving and general computer self-efficacy, so the extent to which you are, feel that you're able to solve problems and how, if you feel comfortable on a computer, if you're able to troubleshoot easily with software and hardware issues, if you are able to you know, navigate the system settings, those types of things. Um, systems administration self-efficacy, networking self-efficacy, web management self-efficacy, and cyber threat identification self-efficacy. So the latter four actually were very specifically tied to the simulation event that we had. So again, we used that simulation point as sort of an end goal, because otherwise the cybersecurity domain is just way too fuzzy and, and broad, especially when we're working with young adults who you know, may have very, very um, emerging knowledge about these, these constructs. So those systems admin, networking, web management, cyber threat identification were all components of our simulation environment. And the feedback that I'm, I'm wanting to get from more experts is, well, in your applications, what does cybersecurity mean? Or what does cybersecurity self-efficacy uh, translate into? So these, um, specifically the letter four, are, are sort of specific to our simulation, but I would be willing to guess that um, these, these types of, of domains also translate to other cybersecurity, um, specifically gen cyber camps. Um, so, what I did is I sort of took these different areas and we created a scale. So the cybersecurity engagement and self-efficacy scale. And we identified specific subtasks related to each of those domains that map to those um, higher level, higher order constructs. And so these are the, the scales that items that uh, we created. And many of the ones from problem solving and general computer self-efficacy were adapted from existing instrumentation. So there's problem solving um, self-efficacy skills out there and computer self general computer self-efficacy skills. And so I, a lot of that I drew from um, in, in the literature. And the things that were sort of new to this particular scale were in, in this subscale were the cybersecurity education enjoyment and persistence. And so these were actually drawn from, there's um, international assessments that we use to gauge our you know, relative position to other uh, students in other countries. And that um, the 
UNESCO uh, essentially and um, the OECD essentially uh, coordinates. So um, the trends in international mathematics and, and science study and the um, program and in international student achievement, so the PISA and the TIMS. Uh, I looked at those and adapted some of the, the wording to be relative to cybersecurity. So again, for those particular assessments, it's science and math oriented, but I really wanted to make sure that the wording and length and the way in which I was wording things um, was sort of a good practice, I'll say. And, and that's why I looked at those instruments because those are sort of vetted and, and um, we use those a lot in, in education. Um, so I asked students, we asked in th this particular subscale to rate themselves and the degree to which they uh, agreed or disagreed. And this is just a basic Likert scale where, you know, one is equals to strongly disagree and five equals strongly agree. And uh, if they're good at problem solving, persisting until a solution's found, confidence in their ability to meet unexpected challenges, so on and so forth. So, Again, these were sort of designed to map up to the higher order constructs. Now in applied statistics, which again is also my background, I would ideally have a large sample of participants so that I could see if indeed these items did map most strongly to the domains that I am expecting them to. So hoping that I am good at problem solving has a very strong loading onto the problem solving and general computer self-efficacy scale, a stronger loading than it has to the cybersecurity education, enjoyment, and persistence scale, okay? In this case, I wasn't able to do that because we only had 36 participants. We actually had 37 participants because someone showed up <laughs> and just thought that they had registered for the camp. So we, um, we didn't have anyone drop out. We had somebody that was not invited come, which we thought was really kind of cool. Um, but ideally in the future what I would do is, is collect more data so that we're able to, to establish those, um, perform a, a factor analysis essentially. So here we see the problem solving in general computer self-efficacy scale, the cybersecurity enjoyment and persistence subscale. And here I've got um, two dimensions for the other subscale. So there's four other subscales that pertain to that uh, list that I, or the map that I had showed you. So systems admin, networking, um, web management, and cyber threat identification. And each of those we thought had two different dimensions. So again, what you're seeing here on the far right-hand side of the screen are those specific subtasks that are going to be related to um, those higher order domain, domain. So being able to access systems users and uh, systems users and accounts uh, is going to be specifically related to systems administration. Okay, um, but within those certain domains, I thought it was really important to differentiate between your ability to do and feel that you can do that task and your ability to understand what it entails. And there was a little pushback um, in, in terms of, um, you know, if there was really a distinction between those things. But I thought it was really important. I think you, it's possible to know how to do something, but to not feel confident in your ability to do it. So I thought that was kind of a really important thing to differentiate between. So you'll see some redundancy in um, you know, the access sy um, systems users and accounts and in, in both of those, but they pertain specifically to um, your ability to completely understand it 
and your confidence and your ability to perform it. Okay, so those are what we call sort of a multi-dimensional, in this case a bi-dimensional um, scale. So I have yet to look to see at the uh, to look at the um, relationship between those two dimensions, but that's definitely something I, I'll I'll be looking at when I get a larger pool of participants. So those two dimensions are reflected in these um, other subscales for self-efficacy. And what we ended up doing for each of these scales was measuring it at a few different time points. And what that allows us to do as camp directors, as researchers, is to determine whether or not the people that we're giving this program to, our students, our campers, are actually increasing over time. A lot of times what happens in self-efficacy research is people, um, particularly males, may rate themselves higher when they come into a task, into an environment, and then when they get exposed to that, that actual environment, what happens is self-efficacy doesn't necessarily increase, but it might actually decrease. Because what you start to understand is all of the things that you don't know. And so your efficacy actually goes down. Um, and so sometimes you'll see some um, curvature in, in growth there, in the growth trajectory. And so that was something I had sort of anticipated, um, particularly because some of the, the students were rating them, or the campers, I'll call them, um, rated themselves highly when they, when they came on board. So in order to be able to do that, I had to collect data at three time points. So my sort of applied area of statistics is in growth modeling and multi-level modeling. So essentially what that means is that in traditional statistics, you sort of uh, assume that your observations are all independent. But when you have those observations nested within people, they're not independent because it's coming from the same person. Some of those observations are coming from the same source. So you have to actually control for that um, variance or lack thereof um, that is at that higher level. So in order to uh, be able to model growth efficiently, you have to have at least three time points. And so we got some feedback on the, um, at the end of the week. <laughs> one of the comments I asked, you know, what did you like most? What did you like least? And one of the people had responded, no more surveys. <laughs> Stop surveying me. So that was, that's definitely a caveat, a trade-off, but I, I got my data, so I, I didn't care about that comment. Um, but so in order to, to get that data, you do have to have three time points. And so what I've shown here is the reliability. And the reliability for the scales is, is actually when I ran this, because of course, as soon as, um, as a statistician, as a researcher, as soon as you get the data, it was all digitally um, collected. I'm running the numbers as soon as they come in. I run back to my office, and I was so excited because uh, essentially these are indicating that the instrumentation is, is, is pretty reliable. It's pretty good that the items that, um, if a person is responding high on an item um, and lower on another item, and they have the same um, ability as, a, as another person, that person has a similar pattern of how they're scoring, okay? So that's essentially what reliability is, is, is stating. And we see some fluctuation across the administration, um, but in, I'll say too that this is uh, the Chromebacks Alpha. So it's essentially each of these is an index between zero and one, um, with one being you know a, a perfect reliability, which is never the case. Uh, such that you know the items are, are sort of intercorrelating really well together. 
Now, there's another type of reliability in which you are trying to determine the consistency in scores across administration. And that's not the type of reliability that I wanted to look at because my thinking was that there's going to be differences in your scale, scaling across time. So I expected the items to not be consistently related across administrations. Okay, so when you're looking at specific types of reliability, you have to make sure that you're using the right one because the inner item, or I'm sorry, the um, not the inner item, the time-based reliability it was was not good because essentially what was it was showing is that there's growth over time there's fluctuation um, but the inner or this um, internal uh, consistency was really good in order to make sure that you know my scale is is I'm able to run the statistics that I want to run on it we have to make sure that it's meeting certain assumptions and that includes normality and so what this is showing is a QQ plot that is essentially plotting. We want it to, to sort of show that 45 degree angle. Um, and in, in this case, again, it didn't, this is specific to the overall Z-scores. So it, again, the Z-scores are where you are standardizing all the scores on the scale to have a mean of zero and a standard deviation of one. And what that allows us to do is put it into terms. So if we create z-scores for all these different subscales, they're all on that same scale, okay? Because they all have different item numbers, and um, the sums or the averages are going to be different across all of those scales. So what z-scores do is they standardize it. And anytime you see a standardized score, usually what we're, we're talking about is a z-score with a, a, a mean of zero with, and a standard deviation of one. And so this is a, a plot of those overall z-scores uh, at one administration. I think it was the post-simulation administration. And again, uh, good, good results showing that I have pretty good um, normal. I, I can go ahead and run the statistics that I want to run because I have met the assumption of normality. Uh, the next thing that I did is I looked at the distribution by gender across administration. And so you'll see here that the, the girls are in the blue and the, and the males are in the green. And essentially these are the overall Z-scores. And you're able to see these are um, what we call box and whisker plots, where you have sort of the interquartile range. So the, the, meet, the majority of the, the data is going to be in those boxes. The whiskers extend out to the range of the data. And those little dots are essentially uh, statistical outliers. Okay, so it shows some distribution. We're also seeing, though, this is where I first started to think about, oh, wow, I'm seeing some gender differences, right? They're uh, at baseline, so again, upon entry into our camp, um, girls are significantly lower. And they're much more homogenous in terms of their, their scoring. Okay, I'll, I'll say with a caveat, too, that our, we only had 10 females and we had uh, 24 males, but that actually we were really proud of that because it was 30% of our, our camp. Um, but that is definitely a, a limitation and um, you know, the, the results should be interpreted you know, with, with that in mind. Um, but again, what we're seeing here is that there's some differences across males and females, but we're also seeing some upward trends across time. So what's happening is that uh, initially people are rating themselves uh, lower, specifically females, but that the um, boxes are tending to move up over time. All right. So these are the types of things that you do before you run any statistical models because they allow you to sort of think about the types of things that you're, you're wanting to look at. And um, for me specifically, 
I might look at how I'm going to code time because I may be specifically looking at the difference between baseline and, and post workshop or I may be looking at the difference between baseline to post simulation. If I'm interested in a specific time point, the way in which I code time is going to be different. So here what I just decided to do is look at the overall um, trajectory. And in order to do that, I essentially coded time as um, 0, 1, or 2. And you put that into your uh, equation, and you're essentially modeling both the I'll go back to um, this previous slide. You're essentially looking at the difference in males and females, both at baseline, but also in terms of their slope. Okay, So not just the intercept, which is baseline, but the slope, so the average growth over time. So it's actually the average between growth in baseline to workshop, or uh, post-workshop, and then post-workshop to post-simulation. Okay? So it's that, that um, slope is, is what that is related to. And what I also did is I essentially took the variable of gender and I regressed it onto both the intercept and the slope so that I'm able to see does gender make a difference at baseline, okay? But also, does gender make a difference in terms of your trajectory? So in other words, are males and females significantly different at the time that they enter camp? But also, are males and females significantly different in terms of their growth rate? Okay, so what tends to happen a lot of times in um, educational research where you're looking at growth is that because in this case males were significantly higher than females, then there's less room for them to grow, right? So something that you have to account for in the model is actually where they, where they start. And that's what we call a latent growth model. And when you essentially model the intercept as a predictor of slope, you have to look and see if that is statistically significant. If it is, then you have to make sure that you are including it in your model and you're making sure that you have adjusted essentially for that ceiling or in this case ceiling, but sometimes a floor effect. Um, in all of the cases, that wasn't, uh, there was no significant intercept as a predictor of the slope. So, uh, but these essentially are latent growth models. What we did see, and um, and I'll just point out just broadly some of the, the results is, so model one, I just uh, modeled the um, time, okay? So model one is just looking at time. It's the average growth across time. So on average, the way that we're, we can read this, because I standardized the scores, and we know that time was coded such at um, zero to one and then one to two, that an increase of one time point was associated with a 0.667 standard deviation increase it, over time in the overall z-score, okay, on the, on the scale. And my next question, which is, you know, really great because we really wanted, that's what we had wanted. We wanted to show that there was growth over time. But the thing that I was actually really interested in was looking to see if when we're modeling that slope, if there was a difference between gender or, or males and females, so a gender effect. And that was what I, I essentially tested in model two. So in model two, you'll see that I regressed gender both on the intercept in that top part, but also on time. So in this um, beta 1-1 that you see at the bottom here, and the, the beta that's associated with it, um, that negative 0.356, 
essentially what that means is that on average there was growth over time but being a male was associated with a 0.356 standard deviation decrease in the slope okay so and that's actually after controlling for gender the gender effect that we're seeing um, initially at baseline and controlling also for um, where where they started uh, so essentially what that's saying is that males are starting higher. They are rating themselves as significantly higher on the scale initially, but that the growth rate of the, the females is significantly higher than the, the males. And the, way that, the reason that this beta is negative is because males were coded as one and females are coded as zero. So that's what we call a dummy code. And it's oftentimes what we do to dichotomize. Um, even if you have a continuous variable, sometimes you'll dichotomize it to, to kind of look at group effects. Um, but in this case, if I were to switch it and code um, females as one and males as zero, then that gender um, effect in, in this model would be positive. Okay, so that's it's just a, a, the way that in which the, the data were coded. So visually, this is what it, um, it looked like. And so again, what you're seeing here is males in the green and um, females as, as the blue dots. And again, females starting significantly lower at baseline. And so again, sort of coming back to the stuff that we're talking about, um, they have much less lower self-efficacy in all of those tasks. They are not enjoying themselves as much. They, a lot of the um, sort of anecdotal evidence I was getting is, my parents made me do this, you know? But by the end, it was, um, they're showing a significantly high growth in self-efficacy and engagement. So even more so, again, than, than the males. And that's not to say that there was no growth in the males. We see here that there's, there's a positive trajectory. And this, in and of itself, is really promising to me because we, we did this in such a short period of time that, again, as I stated before, oftentimes with self-efficacy, we'll see a, a drop. So I had actually thought that at baseline, we'd, we'd see some um, stability, but that possibly after the workshop, it might go down and maybe after the simulation. The simulation was hard for them, and so I had thought, I was like, oh my gosh, when I was like waiting for the data, I was like, I, I'm so nervous because I really, I want to have good results and I want our camp to have been successful. Um, so I was really pleased to see that even after the simulation, which was difficult for a lot of them, um, that they still were rating themselves um, sig significantly higher than, than the baseline and at the, the, at the post-workshop. So that was really exciting. I broke down um, some of the information, too, in terms of um, subscales. Um, but I, I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to go through some of that. But some of that stuff was really interesting. There was um, not as much growth in some of the subscales. Um, in problem solving and general computer self-efficacy, the trajectory was less... Um, steep, so it was a, a flatter um, curvature, and in every case there was a, a slight increase, but in some of the subscales it wasn't significant. So there was growth overall, but in um, some of the subscales there was, it wasn't statistically significant. That may be related to um, the small sample size too. So sort of bringing this back into what it all means, it, you know, that females started camp with significantly lower both engagement and self-efficacy relative to the males at our camp. Um, but they demonstrated significantly greater growth over the course of the week, such that we are, were able to essentially close that gender gap in self-efficacy engagement and actually reverse it. 
right? Because we see here in this slide that females are starting to, to keep going. If we extend those lines, what would happen if we had a post, 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 post simulation uh, time point, you might see a, a pretty big gender gap with a female advantage, okay? So that's actually something that um, has been starting to happen in, in education in general. Um, in about 70s, 80s, there was this huge sort of push for a female um, in, in academics. And what's happening now is, um, they're, they're stating that we need to sort of reverse that trend because we went a little too far into the direction of, um, of you know, females at this point are, are sort of um, across the board completing college at a greater rate than, than males. But again, like I stated before, there's leaky pipeline in, in cyber and in STEM, so that, that's something um, that is, is discipline specific. Um, so by the end of the week, the gaps, again, like I stated, except for in the problem solving and the general computer self-efficacy scale and the um, enjoyment and persistence had significantly decreased or even disappeared and reversed even. Um, so again, the results here are preliminary because there were only 36 participants. But it's definitely promising to show that these types of informal learning activities, hands-on activities that are outside of the school and can um, sort of supplement and be co-curricular um, can have a huge impact on students. Actually, we've had some of the students um, you know, email us and see if we're going to be able to, to roll out a camp this year. They want to come back. Um, I got one of the best emails. You get, you get a lot of emails as a teacher and a researcher. Um, some of them not so good, so you hang on to the ones that are <laughs> that, that make you smile. And I've had some from parents that have um, reached out and said, you know, I just want to thank you because you know the, my son or daughter is is you know still talking about their website and all the things that they learned and you know all the the cool things that you were able to show them. So you know those those types of things are are really neat because it's showing that these experiences are, are going to resonate over time. So that's, that's actually really, really cool. Um, but they can also be a, an important part of, again, reducing the gender gap that we're seeing in cybersecurity, not just education, but career path. I mean, really the, the goal is to create a national workforce that is uh, you know, competent and that is going to, to help us maintain a, a, a secure society. And in order to do that, we have to really start to create these types of experiences early on to get people excited and to know that these types of opportunities are out there, that this is a career path that we can go down and you know, in, encourage them, but also create opportunities for them to experience success. I think that's also a really important sort of component of this is that they had fun. Um, some of the comments that we got were, I had made some friends where you know, we're still talking on, on the social network sites. We, we're joking with them, and you know, be careful what you post. <laughs> um, oh, I did include some of the um, trajectories here. So these are by subscales, um, and so we'll see here, sort of at the top, that the um, problem-solving one is the the one with the flatter slope, and again, uh, males being green and females being blue, and the significant trajectory um, difference was actually in the uh, the networking self-efficacy, um, and also um, systems administration self-efficacy and um, web management self-efficacy. So the girls were specifically more inclined to demonstrate growth in those areas. And I think this can actually, I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to tease these out 
because it may be helpful to sort of identify the things that girls gravitate towards more relative to, to female or rel relative to males. So I think um, sort of teasing out these different sub areas and domains is a really important component of you know the cyber research that we're we're going to continue to do. Um, so currently, what this work is from the the pilot study and um, is under review at, at um, several publication outlets. And my plan for this forthcoming administration, um, the Gen Cyber Initiative is um, the call for proposals, request for proposals was, was just published um, at the end of November. And uh, so we're gonna submit another one and hopefully get that underway. Um, and what I would do is, is um, revise the scale a bit. Uh, through feedback from other experts and at different conferences, I've been picking up on some other um, domains that I think might be important to, to look at. So risk assessment or some general security awareness, I think, might be something that I, we should tap into. And, you know, I encourage you, I'll put my information up here too, as, as experts in the field, because um, that's essentially what, what you're doing. Um, if you see any glaring discrepancies or something that you think is missing, please let me know, because I'm relying on other people's input. As, as I've stated, I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert in, in this. I'm, a, I'm an expert in, I tell this to my husband, I'm an expert in cybersecurity s s engagement and self-efficacy. That doesn't necessarily mean in cybersecurity, so. Um, but obviously further validation is necessary. My hope is to get an IRB through so we can uh, evaluate some of this in college students. Um, and our Gen Cyber 2016 is specifically at UB. Um, but also maybe extension into industry. So looking at how employees in um, networking and in systems administration and um, in different sectors of information um, technology, if they're, you know, if the scale holds, if this self-efficacy component is, is something that is um, also validated in, 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 those, uh, in that adult population. Um, so that's sort of where, where we're looking next. And again, as I stated, if you have any questions you know, or feedback for me, I really, really want you to email me because, again, as I stated, I'm relying on the people, the experts of, of whom you are. And um, I'm, I'm excited and I look forward to, to speaking with you. So if anyone has any questions, sure. So did you kind of also look at the reasons behind the different levels of growth uh, across gender? Uh, so uh, at the end of your workshop, the females were uh, uh, doing better in self-efficacy than the males. So is there research out there that explains this phenomena or uh, did you kind of look at uh, some of the reasons behind that? So qualitatively, we didn't. Um, we did capture other information that I haven't looked at. So I'm wondering if um, a lot of what I saw is females at, in, at the camp were buddying up. So they right. made friends. Right. And so I almost wonder if there's sort of a social effect there. The males also made friends and you know thought, but a lot of what happened, I thought um, the girls at the beginning felt kind of isolated. Right. And so I think that um, community effect and that sort of social aspect might feed into some of that self-efficacy growth because when you see somebody else, actually uh, something that's really important in self-efficacy, if you see someone else that you see as similar to you experiencing success, then you feel like you can be successful, okay? So I always use this analogy when I'm teaching. Um, have you guys ever gone like cliff diving or like jumped off a cliff into water? <laughs> Not just off a cliff, but into water. 
okay, well, there's like a cliff near us, and I could never do it. I was always so scared. But then I saw my friend do it, and I was like, okay, well, if she can do it, then I can do it, okay? So that's sort of the best analogy I, I can give in terms of, um, you know, seeing somebody else do something that, and you specifically if you see that that person is similar to you in right. age, gender, that type of thing can be really important. Great. We did also look at um, gaming. So something I also thought might be important to look at is different types of like um, console gaming, uh, mobile gaming. Um, that actually didn't make a difference in, in growth or anything like that. But student, <laughs> 13 and 14 year olds spend many hours a day on um, their mobile devices on games and a few of them in excess of six hours. So <laughs> according to my survey. Any other questions? Sure. Are you after the camp, if they still show an interest towards yeah, something. Maybe go ahead and use that microphone there. Oh, sorry. Are you planning on tapping them if after the camp you're still showing any interest or I don't think that's on anymore. <laughs> oh, do you want me to give her this one? Uh, is it on now? Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay. You know, tracking those participants and see if they still have any, if they're still working on stuff they learned in the camp or how much they're involved with the field after they left the camp. Excellent question. I'm, I know, I, honestly, ideally, yes, we would love to do that. The issue comes down to money. Um, a lot of times we want that longitudinal research because essentially that's our end goal. We want, I would love to track every single one of the people that I've surveyed not just post six months, but in a year, in two years, through college. Hey, how are you doing when you're 30? What are you doing when you're 30? Because that's the goal. That's the, that's the end goal. That takes a lot of time and resources. Um, that's definitely something that you know, we're, we're looking at doing is a smaller longitudinal study and longitudinal extending beyond you know, a couple of years. But absolutely, that, that's, the, that's the goal. I don't have a question, but I just wanted to say thank you and ask everybody else to join me in thanking Dr. Thank Amo. You. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.